Welcome to Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Hello, everyone. So this intro, we're not going to be doing read the reviews. My mom would like to share a project. So um, I just want to start out to explain that, you know, Early on in our homeschooling journey, I personally, as a new homeschooling parent, had a ton of questions. And I think one of the biggest things that I was looking for is I wanted to hear from others that had more experience than I had, others that had been in the trenches, so to speak. Because when we first got started with homeschooling, we were actually living in Jamaica. We had chosen to travel with our kids, and our first destination was Jamaica, and there was not a large homeschooling community there. Um, that I was able to find and connect with. But as time passed, our experience grew, and I did other things. I read as much as I could about learning and education and homeschooling, whatever I could find. I researched. I tried new things and then tried them again, tried something different. I journaled extensively, and I asked questions whenever I could. I think I accosted many homeschool parents that I would meet with so many questions that I had, and they were very gracious to answer any questions that I had. So this podcast was really born out of that. It's a platform to get some of those same questions answered that I had that I knew others had as well because I've been asked the same. And it's also a chance to connect a community around the world. And, you know, that's what we're doing. Starting, it was a huge learning curve for me. And there's still a few learning curves here and there that I get from time to time. And even though the podcast is free for listeners, creating it is not. It takes a lot of time. Uh, there's software, there's editing, uh, there's the cost of hosting, and of course, the time to research each episode, plan it, and record it. But I want to keep this podcast freely available for listeners on the podcast platform. So this is where something like Patreon comes in. Patreon, if you are not already familiar with it, is a membership platform for creatives, and it's essentially a crowdfunding platform. So I am planning to start using a Patreon membership account but before I begin that process, I want to find out from my listeners first. So for those of you that have already listened to podcasts and maybe support other shows through Patreon, what shows do you support? What rewards do you like receiving? Or if you do decide to support this podcast through Patreon, what kind of rewards would you like to receive from me? I'm going to turn it over to you, Zara. Your feedback is also extremely important. You can send your feedback through email, robin at imhomeschooling.com, through Instagram or Facebook at Honey I'm Homeschooling the Kids, and also through her website. Who did you interview in this episode? interviewed Alicia Brignell. And why did you interview Alicia Brignell? Well, as Alicia is a homeschool mom of four and homeschool advocate, she actually lives here in Canada in our same province in Calgary, Alberta, just to the very south of us. Alicia is also the founder of the Inspired Secular Homeschool Conference in Calgary, which I know you're familiar with because I have personally been able to speak at that conference last year and I've attended it as well on my own. And this is actually the fourth year of the conference. So we talked about the conference that is coming up September 7th and the why behind it. So if you want to find out more, go to inspiredcalgary.com. But we also talked about how Alicia went from not supporting homeschool at all to deciding to do it for her family and kids. And as well, we talked about why she chose to pursue her education degree. She's getting her degree to become a teacher and the perspective that gives her as a homeschool mom. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to say about Alicia? Uh, I think it's a great interview and it, she has a fantastic perspective as well. Working with, I know her, one of the reasons she looked into homeschooling is um, to better meet the needs of her kids um, and her boys that have ADHD. So if any of you is experiencing that yourself, I'm sure you would love to hear more of Alicia's story. Enjoy the episode and listen carefully. <laughs> 
So today I have Alicia Rignell joining me on the podcast. Thanks, Alicia, for joining me. Thank you. Alicia is a homeschool mom of four kids. She lives in Calgary, Alberta. We share a home province. And she's also creator of the Inspired Secular Homeschool Conference in Calgary. Uh, she actually wears many hats. So those are just a few of the many, but we thought we'd start from there. So thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs> and maybe it'll be easier as well if um, you can talk a little bit more about your family. So everyone that comes on my show either has, you know, a research specialization in an area around learning and education. They're a family that has created their own unique learning journey. And that's what I want to share with the listeners. And usually it's based on a certain framework of ideas or beliefs that the parents or the family has around learning and self-expression. So you homeschool your four kids. You have four kids. Can I ask how old they are? Uh, yep. They're 14, 11, 9, and 6. Okay. Oh, so you've got a pretty good spread from your youngest mm -hmm. to oldest. Okay. Yeah. So have you guys always homeschooled? I was pretty anti-homeschooling before I had my kids, funny enough. I didn't um, know that. Okay. I, ironically, <laughs> ironically. now, okay. Uh, my best friend and I um, opened a preschool because we felt that institutionalized education was the best thing for children. And we didn't really understand what homeschooling was and that it wasn't what the media says it is. Right. So after five years of running a really successful Reggio-based preschool in downtown Calgary, we actually sold it and we started homeschooling. Both of us started homeschooling our kids. And we have both homeschooled now for eight years. So it was kind of a, a complete turnaround for the yeah. opposite of what we had uh, thought. So did you, after you sold it, did you decide to homeschool because it just seemed like the transition, the right transition from having a Reggio preschool or how did that happen? Were you introduced to a family that homeschooled and then you thought, wow, they're not so weird after all, maybe I can do this too? I kind of, it was also because our preschool was unique in the way that it was a parented preschool. We both had, our oldest children were both really hard to transition kids. They had a, a lot of difficulties, you know, flourishing within other preschool. Like we had put them in preschool, a different one when they were three and they both kind of, it wasn't great. And then, you know, we said, well, we can do it better. So we opened up our own preschool and we allowed parents to be able to come and stay and they could transition and in between going from the three-year-old program to the four-year-old program. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't want to do that four-year-old independent program, or if it wasn't working for the family, they could come back down to the three-year-old program, which was parented. Okay. And yeah, we just felt that we needed to listen to the children more. And that was the way that our entire preschool was set up. It was basically transitional from baby playgroups all the way up into independent classes. Okay. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So then why homeschool? Why not just, I ask this because I know some who've started uh, the opposite way. Maybe they started homeschooling and then they've transitioned to a small independent school and then it's grown from there to um, also accommodate their kids as they've grown, gotten older. Why not continue a Reggio program um, along with the age of your kids? Why, why did you decide to sell it? Or you just, it was time to move on and and that was it. No, it, it wasn't really, uh, I loved our preschool. I would have still kept it to this day if it had worked for our family, if we'd been able to manage it. At the time, my uh, best friend and I had three going on four children each. And so it was a lot to juggle. And also my oldest son, I actually put him in kindergarten in our local public school uh, because this was before I, um, we decided to sell. And the tipping point for me was that my son has ADHD and he just wasn't being celebrated in the classroom. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that was good and for lack of a better word. So unfortunately due to the large class size of his kindergarten, he had um, 50 kids between two teachers as it was like a, a Reggio kind of a, with the open space between the two yeah. rooms. Yeah. 
I just didn't feel that he was getting the inspired education that I thought that he deserved. So I became disillusioned by the bigger system. I really felt that I wanted him to just to enjoy school and have fun and and come home, you know, excited about what he was learning. And what was happening was that uh, he's a very, 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 very bright, bright child. And so he would go in with these ideas and these connections that his peers weren't really making. And then the teacher would tell us, you know, well, that's not on the curriculum and we need to stay on the Alberta program of studies. So that's kind of where the the splinter, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, started. And um, I just felt that why, like why, like if we're trying to promote a love of learning within our children, then you know why are we squashing this one when he's five, right? Five. Right. So yeah. So then we decided that we would start homeschooling um, the next year for grade one, and we do use the blended program. So. It was a nice compromise, I guess I should say, for between me and my husband, because my husband at the time did not agree with our our schooling, or my, I should say, my schooling choice. Okay, as in homeschooling. Yes. Okay. Okay. So can you explain for those, for the listeners that are not familiar with how um, our homeschooling education program runs in Alberta here in Canada, could you explain a little bit about what blended means or what it means to be a blended homeschooling family here in Alberta, that choice? Because you have different choices when it comes to homeschooling here. Yes, exactly. So blended basically means that the school board is responsible for a percentage of the child's learning program. So that means that the parent or guardian is in charge of a certain percentage, and then the school board is in charge of another percentage. But it has to be between 25% and 75%. If a school board is in charge of more than 75% of the program, it then becomes a school-driven program, and it's no longer has any home education component to it. So if I wanted to, for example, have my children do a blend and an online, they could do two courses at a school, a, a local school or within the, there's a homeschooling school in Calgary and do, let's say, math and English. And then if they did science online, that would still be considered a blend, even though the school board is doing three of those four core subjects. And then I would be in charge of social studies, which would be that 25%. But if I then gave social studies to another online course or something like that, it would not be considered blended because I am not in charge of any of the four subjects. And in Alberta, you can pick and choose if you would like to do one course that's teacher directed and one course that's online or, you know, something like that. So the program that my children started with was 50-50, which just meant they did, you know, social studies and science. And then I did math and English or you know, whatever it was, whatever year it was, whichever one was working best. Right. Okay. Yeah. The nice thing about um, where we live here in Alberta is it actually offers quite a bit of choice for parents that are choosing homeschooling, quite a bit of choice and support in those options. Mm -hmm. I know for some, they might feel like they just want complete freedom away from having to register or anything like that, but um, it does offer support and resources and help. For facilitation mm-hmm. in that way, which is really nice. It, yeah. it gives it a bit of more of an open environment for homeschoolers to, yeah, to be open with things. So yeah, and you're able to even choose just one course if you wanted to, and still be able to go to the the school and you know have they they have like a you know Christmas parties and and things like that, like the community based things, and there's also like. Uh, parent-driven programming that it's like a co-op, but it's a co-op that's within a school board. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's quite a few options actually. Yeah. So then your oldest is 14 now. So you've been Mm -hmm. homeschooling for quite a while. Um, Mm -hmm. And and, I mean, and I'm going to ask this too, as a prelude to to what you are doing now, I know you are an advocate of what I call natural learning. I think you and I are both Mm -hmm. natural learning advocates when it comes to learning and education. Um, uh, through your homeschooling journey, what are some of the challenges that you faced? Um, some are my challenges, um, throughout the entire homeschooling journey, I've had 
a, a lot of challenges. Um, my older two children both have uh, learning disabilities, uh, ADHD, and my second son is um, severely dyslexic. So it's been a lot of researching and figuring out what works best for each child. I really believe in individualized learning and making learning meaningful for my kids. And so it's been definitely a struggle to find those resources and affordable resources within, you know, in and out of the system. I've had to pay out of pocket for tutoring, etc. It's been a big challenge, but it's definitely been worth it to me because I feel that, you know, when we talk to professionals about their challenges, they always say to me, because I always worry, I know this is really silly coming from a homeschooling advocate, but I'm also a mom. Mm -hmm. So I worry that, you know, maybe have I made the wrong choice? Is this, you know, would it have been better if they had not, if I had not chosen to home educate? And Time and time and time again, I have professionals with no knowledge of homeschooling tell me that, wow, you know, your kids are so confident and they feel good about themselves. They, you know, they, they really are great people and, you know, learning challenges aside, it's allowed them to really blossom into their own people and to really you know, have a, a good life, like a really good life. And I think when it comes down to it, that's all a mom can really hope for Absolutely. is that their kids, you know, are happy, healthy, and um, well taken care of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it really creates resiliency for exactly. them in so many ways, especially going forward as they get older as well, because you've given them that space to build that confidence and be really more self-aware and um yeah, I guess, you know, that loving, that's, you've given them love and they feel love. And that goes mm-hmm. a really, really long way. So yeah, good job, mom. <laughs> Absolutely good job. Along in that journey as well, if you had any core beliefs that you had before that maybe have shifted and changed, you know, may, you know, I, I, I understand that maybe that is part of it. Um, you know, having with kids with learning disabilities, maybe some beliefs before you thought that would have best supported them and working with them and and seeing that results in the end has changed in that way. But is there anything else or even tied to that? Any beliefs you found that as you've homeschooled, you thought, you know what, this is not what I expected. And I've come to realize this or, you know, this is what I understand better now. Mm -hmm. I don't really think that my core beliefs have changed. I just, I feel like they've almost gotten stronger. I like fundamentally believe that each child is an individual and education should be as individualized as possible. But I've also realized that home education is just one way that this can be done. It isn't to say that like homeschooling works for everyone, just as an arts emergent school or traditional learning center doesn't work for everyone. It works for some. So I believe that we need to be open to understanding that learning can be done in many different ways and that all of them are valid. I definitely feel that when I started homeschooling and when we were in the first, you know, two or three years, I was one of those, you know, pro homeschooling where it works for everyone. Everyone should do it. You know, this is the best thing, you know, really became quite, I guess, extreme in that belief. And then, um, but over time, I've, I know that it doesn't necessarily mean that for everyone. And it, it's not a bad thing. Like it's not, we don't all learn the same way. So why would we all subscribe to the same education? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's also the beauty of our differences as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just exactly. just being able to offer that flexibility to um, to really honor those differences and allow those differences yeah. to flourish. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's and, the, the trick. Yeah. Yeah. And I always think about it as, as my son is getting older and going closer to high school, I keep looking at our bigger population, the, you know, adults and how the workforce has changed so much in the last 10 years and how we now have the ability to have more autonomy in how we work, where we work, you know, what we work on and, you know, how uh, streamlined or, you know, you see people at Starbucks and some people can work really great with, you know, people all around them and just on their laptop and they get stuff done so fast. And other people need to be really quiet and like at the office or whatever. 
And that's the same for children. Like that's exactly the same. Like we're, you know, children are just little adults waiting to grow up. Right. So I think we should just keep reminding ourselves that there's no one workplace that looks the same either and has the same results. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's absolutely true. So I think of even my kids, you know, my son, he like, he is so active. He moves around every single second and has to be able to like walk and think and talk out loud and kick a soccer ball. Like he seems to always have a ball on his foot all the time and, you know, doing something like that or be outside. And, you know, my daughter is she's a little bit more introverted, more of the homebody in, in many ways and wants things more organized and a bit quieter and their personalities get along really, really well, but they are very different personalities and their learning cells are very, very different as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I see it. Absolutely. So, you know, for you, you've also had another shift in your life recently as well. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, you've decided to return to school, actually, to return to university. And you're studying, you're getting your education degree. And mm-hmm. I know for some, you know, someone say, okay, for you, that's a perfect fit. And if someone is going to go for their education degree and, and become a teacher, they would want you to do that. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And for some, it might seem like it's a bit of an odd contradiction from homeschooling mm-hmm. mom and natural learning advocate to um, an education degree, becoming a teacher here in Alberta. So mm-hmm. first, what brought you to the point where you thought, you know what, this is something that I want to pursue and do? Well, funny enough, I've always wanted to be a teacher. Okay. I actually decided that when I was in grade two. So I applied to the education program in Lethbridge in 2001. And then life had other ideas for me. And it took me a long time to get back where I was. I'm not against public education. Like I, I am an advocate for homeschooling, but I also feel that public education has a place in our society. So it sounds like a contradiction, but on the other hand, public education, like some children, some children need public education, that safe place to go. It is a, a need. Can, sorry, Alicia, can you explain a little bit more of how some examples of some kids where it is the right fit and it is a good place for them to go? It's, it's where they need to go? I feel that when we look like in the big city, like for example, where I live in Calgary, we our major school board, the Calgary Board of Education, does not close schools, even for snow days. Even when you think, oh, man, the school should be closed because the snow is up to here and it's and so cold. Open your front door, and they, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. But they do this because there are some students that the only safe place for them is the school. Mm. Because they live in families that may have some... Uh, fall on tough times, maybe some, you know, some abuse, hopefully not. But these things happen where sometimes home isn't the safest place for you. And to have somewhere where it's always open and it's always available and that they can go and learn because those needs are not being met at home, then I feel that that is an important thing for our society to have because I feel that we should be looking out for each other. So I feel like Education aside, aside from my feelings of what should be taught, where it should be taught, how it should be taught, I feel that the having the safe place of the building and caring adults is something that our society really needs to keep. Mm, okay. Okay. And then continue, as you were saying, because I interrupted you to ask to give you a little bit uh, more explanation. <laughs> and then, so getting into education and mm-hmm. that you're you're not anti-public school, you feel that Mm-mm. it is the right fit and space for some families and students. And then the, you know, you did enroll in originally at the University of Lethbridge in their education mm-hmm. program in 2001, and then life had different circumstances and changes. Mm-hmm. And then we come to now where you are enrolled at the University of Calgary. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the reasons that I made this choice was actually to legitimize myself, as silly as that sounds. It's not silly, Um, no. (laughs) It does. uh, To me, it sounds silly because I also really struggle with this. I've struggled with it a lot because I've gone through eight years of people saying to me, well, don't you need to be a teacher to homeschool? And me going, nope, you don't need to be a teacher to homeschool. So I definitely feel that 
you know, dilemma within myself. However, with two children with learning disabilities, I was really tired of being discounted because I wasn't, quote, a certified educator. Mm. Secondly, I want to use my education degree to help other families to navigate home and alternative education. I really feel like having people, you know, facilitators or teachers who have the experience of seeing a different system firsthand will really benefit the education system as a whole. Mm. If we have people who know what alternative or home education looks like and not the stereotypes that we hear all the time. Oh, I had a friend who 20 years ago, right? All of those stereotypes that we hear as home educators, I feel like if we have colleagues that can say, uh, no, that doesn't always happen all the time. Or no, I have a family that I know that does this. Or have you ever thought of it in this way? Exactly. And I think it just, um, I feel like once I have those letters behind my name, that I will not have to make caveats anymore for my my opinion. Interesting. You know, it's also interesting, I mean, because it also speaks to our greater society and others Mm -hmm. as well, right? Where, you know, asking that question, I mean, for me personally, in some ways, it's really frustrating to hear because in some ways it thinks like a a parent who knows their child intimately, who really knows their child (laughs) the best, um, is discounted Mm -hmm. or discredited Mm -hmm. for what they may say supporting their kids and knowing their mm-hmm. kids very well because they might not have letters behind their name. Yeah. So as a, as a mother and as a parent, it's discrediting on, it's frustrating, discrediting for our personal role as a parent and not everything that we do, never mind as a homeschooler, but just as a mother and parent of our children as well. Right? Yes. Yeah. And I, you know, I, and, and moms and dads do a hell of a lot that I think sometimes is not recognized for, uh, you know, for what they're doing for their kids as well. But also the greater society, mm-hmm. too, is that in order to be valid or validated, it's that external, that external thing as well, right? I know. I know. And that's why I definitely struggle with it. It was, I had a moment when I decided, actually, there was a tipping point. It was a, a class, um, I just, and I hate telling this story, but it's it's important for context I had put my son, the one with severe ADHD, in a class in a program that specialized in people with uh, learning challenges, and he was not keeping up with the, it was an art class too, I must add that, he was not keeping up with the other students in the class, and he wasn't having a good time because of comments that had been made to him by the instructors, and I had gone up and I had said to him, I'm really, I'm a big believer in advocating for yourself, especially when you have learning disabilities, because I will not be there all the time to advocate for them. So I've given them the language in order to advocate for themselves. And I asked him, have you talked to your instructor? Would you like me to, you know, is this, are you asking for my help? And then he said, yes, he wanted me to talk to this particular instructor. And I said, you know, my son has this ADHD. We don't, you know, we put him in this program for this reason. Uh, etc. And uh, she brought up um, one of the neurotypical children's artwork versus my child. And she said, we'll see how far behind he is. And I said, well, you know, I don't want to make excuses or anything. I just would like you to be compassionate. And then she said, well, I'm a teacher and you're not. So, and I was like, okay. And that was, that was it right there. Cause I was really close to being finished my, my degree. And I was like, fine, that's it. Right. And I know that sounds really silly, but in that moment I had never been so put down or diminished for, you know, what, what do I know? I'm only a homeschool mom, yet another mom complaining. Whereas I felt it just rocked me to my core so much, this interaction, that I felt, you know, the very next day I applied, like the very next oh, wow. day, because I was, I was so, so angry with the entire system. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think also you want, you want to be the teacher that is not the invalidator. You want to be the one that gives mm-hmm. the validation, the support, really, and then yeah. uh, therefore helps facilitate the learning, because really we're here for we're here for the kids, right? Supporting what mm-hmm. they need in education. And 
I know. It's one of those things as well, too. So many times that comment made by her, I also understand is a reflection of her, not a reflection of you, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so sometimes our comments that, are, that become hurtful or something that, you know, maybe she's feeling, <laughs> you know, she she's reflecting upon herself in so many ways, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's something, you mm-hmm. know. Anyways, that's a whole, I guess that's a whole other rabbit hole we could also go, go down mm-hmm. as well. So, but I understand that. So then as you're going through your education degree now, is it giving you a different perspective on education and schooling, having this background now that you're willing to share? <laughs> it's been the most interesting, I guess, sociological um, experiment, I guess, because I, I really believed that my education degree and the information that I would be taught would be educational theory, like how do students learn best, mm-hmm. you know, the classroom structure and environment about. inside, what helps facilitate yeah. learning the best. Yeah. It's like, like strategies for individualized learning, like, like things like that. And we do touch on that. That's not to say it doesn't get touched on, but I also feel that because of the political climate that we're in and the issues that are facing our school boards and our our system it almost becomes more of there is a lot of talk about classroom management Mm -hmm. and for me I don't feel because I don't plan on teaching full-time in a school or in a classroom um, I don't feel that it's relevant and I almost feel that that we're missing the major parts like like I, in my undergraduate degree, uh, took a course on learning and psych- the psychology of learning, and it basically boiled down to intrinsic learning, right? And, and we know this, like, so it has to matter, it has to come from within yes. in order for you to want to learn something, to learn it. And so I feel like a lot of the issues that we have in classroom management and a lot of strategies that we talk about would be mitigated if we understood where learning came from. Like if we understood that it had to be, you know, intrinsic. But I almost feel like that's one of those like big philosophical questions that just take too long to understand and to wrap your head around. So it's almost, you know, more prudent to teach classroom management. Right, right. Yeah, it is really interesting because... That's the whole, the word management, not, um, so many times you think of the word management does not have the word learning and, uh, mm-hmm. in its definition, right? It's kind of like the, uh, you know, the, the thing that comes to my mind is the overlord directing the task, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, in so many ways in that, in that word, in that connotation. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. so it is, it is very interesting. And I, and I know, uh, you know, the political, Political influence changes things as well, too. So Yeah, it definitely does. So I feel like that what I've learned in the last two years now is that education and teaching are not one and the same. Because it's not even your even your teachers who have all of the knowledge of all of the, you know ways of teaching all pedagogy and like assessment and all the different words that we use to work with when we're working with students if if we don't have the supports within the system it's it leaves you to I mean I feel it's the same I like I feel it's the same as being a mom of four children like yes I know you know I should be talking to my children you know in a Gordon Newfeld Newfeldian type of way but sometimes I tell them to just go to bed because I'm done, right? You know, some, sometimes when I feel that I don't have any support, I don't do what is completely best for them. And I, you know, I'm short with them or, or whatever, whatever it is, because we're humans and humans, you know, need support or we struggle. Like that's just the facts of the matter. So I don't, um, I feel it's very interesting when we talk about education and teaching and learning and how these things on paper look 
and how in practice it actually can Right. Be. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a great example, mm-hmm. I think, using that example mm-hmm. of being a parent and knowing like, you know, what supportive, respectful parenting or attachment parenting, you know, Gordon mm-hmm. Newfeld is, if anyone mm-hmm. doesn't know, I mean, hold on to your kids is a must read. Gordon Newfeld and Dr. Gabor Mate. Uh, if you get, if you haven't already mm-hmm. read that book in particular, definitely read it. But then, yeah, then when you don't, when you're, when you're at those certain limits or you, you don't have that support, it's hard to exactly mm-hmm. put that into practice sometimes to be absolutely mm-hmm. completely present and aware every second of the day. Exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's very difficult, very, very difficult. Yeah. And I kind of feel with teaching with, with education, we're taught the different philosophies and what's the, the greatest way to get the best you know, results for lack of a better word. But it, like with parenting, sometimes you just go back to the way that you were raised mm-hmm. Yeah. or, and for teaching, that means just going back to the way that you were taught. So, you know, like, you know, that you need to fill this 30 minute block and this is the way that you were taught it. And yeah, maybe it'll work. Right. And some, and sometimes it does, sometimes it, you know, reaches 50% of the kids or whatever it is, but. Yeah, it's very it's very interesting. I can see myself getting a master's in this. Yeah, at some yeah, point. absolutely. So, I mean, like a little bit more on this topic. Do you do you think or do you feel that schooling, like public schooling or traditional schooling, is moving forward in the right direction? Is it moving forward, but just at an extremely slow pace, mm-hmm. or is it just kind of stagnant? I feel honestly, I feel that. Every teacher, I have to say, every teacher that I have met in this program and teachers out in the, the world that I know and my kids' teachers that they've had, they all agree with the way that education should look. Right. They believe in John Dewey and they believe in, you know, authentic assessments and they believe in, you know, making it meaningful for children and they believe in the competencies that are outlined by the Alberta government. Um, the, you know, critical thinking skills are important. Like these 21st century skills that we talk about, the buzzword. Yeah. But the the issue is then I really feel that it's just they have this huge job with so many kids in their classrooms that it does become a little bit harder to manage. And that's why it seems to the outside that, you know, it's not moving. Right. But it, it is moving. I do feel that it is moving for positive change because they really, really, really feel deeply that this is how students should be taught. There's no question in my, like when I'm sitting in my lectures or listening to discussions or where we have Socratic tables or whatever, we all are on the same line on like what children need in order to be successful. It's just how do you do that with your limited amount of resources. Right. And some school boards do better than others. And sometimes that comes from the amount of funding again. Yeah. Like you know, really it's, yeah. And I feel that it could move a little bit quicker if we, as parents, I think a lot of it comes down to parents understanding and also advocating for kids. And I feel in our, I feel that it's a societal issue where I know, and I can't speak for people living in the rural areas, but living in the city, we have, you know, kids that are overscheduled and they've got all this stuff and the parents are working, you know, two jobs, three jobs just to keep, you know, the roof over their head. So the education, like the actual what is happening day to day to day in the classroom isn't really on the forefront of their mind. It's more how am I going to get from the bus stop to our swimming lessons, right. you know, without dinner, yeah. right? Like there's, there's that, right? So we're distracted. And if we're not advocating for the system or helping the system, then it's like, who is going to? Right, right. Yeah. And I mean, I think, yeah, so many of us are, I was actually just reading an article by, I don't know if you heard with Sandra Dodd. And just like a blog, mm-hmm. an old blog post that she had written. And it was, um, Pete, I can't remember exactly the title, but she talks about, like, she refers to the, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And the basic mm-hmm. Maslow hierarchy of needs that 
um, you know, self-actualization is at the top, but first you need the basics. You need safety. You Mm -hmm. need to feel that you're safe. Mm -hmm. You need to, you know, make sure you're not hungry. You need to have a roof over your head. You know, some of the basic needs when we're talking about inspired learning and things like that, your first priority and word are those things. So uh, those other things that are not going to happen until you feel safe, until you know that, you know, there's food to eat, uh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. a roof over your head or, you know, that's exactly, or our busy lives that we do, we think about, I, I, you know, am I going to be there on time to pick up my child? And then, yeah, make sure they have food before they go to their activity or class and then get them at home in time so that they could have a proper sleep before the day starts again as mm-hmm. well, right? So mm-hmm. never mind homework and all that other sort of stuff and getting them ready for this other school activity that's coming up at the end of the month or whatever else mm-hmm. as well. So yeah, it's interesting. I feel that for homeschoolers, we live in this world of privilege where we don't have to like go with like what the rest of society is doing. We're already being counter in the fact that we've pulled our kids or our kids are not in that larger mm-hmm. system. So we don't really feel those, I guess, pressures that some of the schooled parents feel and it just allows for like a a different lifestyle completely where you don't like I have a I have a dancer who is a very intensive dancer is going you know hopefully to professional level and I don't have to rush him in the mornings like he can stay at the studio until 9 p.m and he can sleep in all morning because that's our lifestyle. That's what we've chosen. But for his, you know, his friends, his peers, they're there till nine on the bus at seven, right? Like it's an out, it's just, it's a completely different. So there, you know, are the parents then advocating for smaller class sizes and more resources or, you know, are we just surviving? It's a very interesting question. And I think also sometimes what happens when you're surviving, because I think many, many are surviving. I've I've been in survival mode Mm -hmm. personally myself as well, so I get it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's hard to see other choices and hard to see other Mm -hmm. opportunities when you're just in survival mode. To think outside mm-hmm. of that, or and some just don't know that there's also other ways or other choices. That's also part of it. Is you know, many I think even for many parents, even for education, they're not aware that there are actually options. You know, I've spoken to many that say, "Well, I, I've only ever known this way, and this is the only way that I see around me." So I didn't know there was anything offered differently, as well. Mm-hmm. But it, it's hard yeah. to yeah get out of that when you're in just survival mode as well. And actually, you know, speaking, I was actually going to ask, and I'm happy that you brought up to your kids, because I also wanted to talk a little bit about your kids, because I know, you know, what you have one that is a dancer as well. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, through, you know, through your choice, essentially that what your family choice of, through home educating, um, some of the interesting, you know, the, the interesting opportunities that they've been able to pursue because of it. Um, and, and, you know, what they're doing through that home education journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we've also, we've definitely been able to delve more deeply into their interests. Our homeschool allows our kids to decide on like what they would like to do. I sit down in August with all of them uh, individually and ask them what are some big projects that they'd like to learn about or what are some things that they're interested in because I always feel that it comes from their own interests. And that means that we've gone you know, in different ways than I never thought possible that we would go for. And um, some of that, you know, we have, you know, computer programming, obviously, like my older son is really into that. He's really into like fish and (laughs) which is a very interesting, just, you know, everything about fish and the Bow River and, you know, the types of fish and then goes into pollution and all that stuff. So it's, it's a, it's a fun ride to follow them. And, you know, we just make sure that we are always giving them those opportunities to do those different things. So it's been, um, it is very interesting. I, it's never a dull moment for sure, because my kids are very interested in everything. So it's a constant looking for resources, going to the library, going on these 
you know, field trips and things. And we definitely spend more of that time during, you know, the school year. And then like everyone else, we kind of slow it down in the summer, but truth be told, that's also because, you know, everything gets three times as busy. Right. <laughs> so we kind of like to hide. <laughs> and our summers are just so nice in Alberta that we all want to take yes. advantage yeah. of being able to do stuff yes. outside when it is summertime. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So are you, when you get your, when you complete your education degree, are you going to continue homeschooling or are you just going to take it one day and one year at a time? Oh, I will continue to homeschool for sure. Um, there's never any, there's never any question about it. This year, I actually have to do two full practicums in order to get my certification. So I need to do a six week and an eight week practicum in the middle of the year. So I'll be working full time as a teacher in a classroom, which I find to be ironic <laughs> a little bit. Um, but I, you know, I bring what, you know, I bring inquiry based, project based. I really try and use all of my, you know, tricks that I use in my homeschool into the classroom as much as I possibly can. And, you know, it would be easier from a logistic standpoint if I just put all four of my children into school full right. time. Yeah. Like absolutely it would be so much easier because I wouldn't have to worry about childcare during the day. I wouldn't have to worry about, you know, calling on friends or family or, you know, ending up like I've actually scheduled our homeschool next year so that we on the, when I am in practicum and my husband, he um, works out of town half time. So he's home half time. Um, when he's home, he'll be doing the bulk of it. And when he's not home and, you know, I have family watching them or have you, then, you know, it's their vacation time. Right. And then when I'm back, you know, here at home, not doing my practicums, then we'll be really digging into the stuff that, you know, we won't be doing. And then next summer, we'll be doing a lot more homeschooling to make up for the, the weeks that I'm going to be missing. Like our, our summer next year will be a lot more rigid, I guess I should say, um, just to make sure that I get in everything that I want them to do or that they would like to do. Cause I know that I'm going to be having a little bit of a shortfall. It's definitely a balancing act, but because we homeschool again, it allows me that flexibility. Like when I get home from school or from teaching all day, I will still be able to continue on like what, whatever they're doing that day or ask them or get them to do some writing or whatever it is, because, you know, we have, you know, 12 hours in a day. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Managing our time. Right. And all of those, the, the great mm -hmm. thing I think as well about it is that your kids also see you as a student and learner as well. It's not just them. Oh, yeah. So they see yeah. you actively involved in this whole process. You know, you are right alongside them and doing things that you really, really love and inspire you. And I think that in itself is a huge education. And that is a huge, mm -hmm. huge gift for them to see and be part of as well. And sometimes, yeah, it takes mm -hmm. some crazy balancing and leaning on friends and family. Uh, I hear you because I do the same thing as well. And it's, yeah, and very grateful that we have that support too. And, um, but also, and there's those advantages of they have those times with those other ones too in the family. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's really yep. important. Mm -hmm. And then, so continuing on, on some of your creative passions and pursuits, <laughs> let's talk about the Inspired Secular Conference, Inspired Homeschooling, that you uh, have created and host and run and organize in Calgary. And it's been, is this your fourth year? Yeah, it is wow. the fourth okay. year. Yeah, it's, yeah, I know. Yes, Inspired. Inspired is something that I absolutely love. And it is so much work. It's so much work. The reason that I, um, the reason why I started inspired was basically because I wanted to go to a conference about home education that aligned with my values of diversity, inclusivity, you know, and, um, leaving all your philosophical convictions, um, and accepting everyone, but I couldn't find something like that within my, like within our community and not even in Canada, there's like a online one, but finding, finding like a place where I could actually speak to other people and listen to things that were relevant to me and my experience in homeschool just didn't exist. So I just decided to 
start it because I felt that no one else is going to. And I'm that type of person <laughs> that just does it. And so I just like decided to do it. I asked a good friend of mine, Michelle, who had mm -hmm. on your podcast Michelle previously. Goulet, yeah. And yeah, and she was, we align 100% in our, in our uh, values and our viewpoints for home education. And um, we just decided, here we go. Let's do it. Let's just schedule the date and go for it. So yeah, it's been a learning experience in that I'm not a very good event planner, <laughs> but <laughs> like, it's, it's not something that I am just struggling with that a little bit, but it's, um, what I love about Inspired is that I definitely have that, um, what is that called? Imposter syndrome where I don't feel that I, you know, doing it right or it's not the way it should be. And, oh, well, wish it was bigger and I wish it had more money. And, yeah, I wish we could do this or whatever. But um, the community really loves it. And I thought about putting it on a hiatus for this year because I just finished two weeks of, you know, really heavy-duty university courses. And I kind of want the summer off. But... Um, I had so many people email me and ask me, is it happening this year? Can I get a ticket? I really want to see it. You know, this is, you know, we booked this off. This is when we, you know, see our community, our family. This is, you know, important to us. And so I said, okay, we'll do it. We'll just do it a little bit lighter this year. So I won't be having as many, you know, vendors because it's being held at the Calgary Public Library. So there's, you know, they don't do vendors there. Um, and then it'll be, more like the first year when we had uh, speakers and so it was speakers and screenings basically with more room for networking and community okay, building. Awesome. So what is the website? If someone wants to find out more about it, they're going to be in the area. Where will you direct them to? I'm just inspiredcalgary.com. That's it's easy. At some point I'd like to see if I can go to Edmonton um, in the next couple of years, but we're, Still in Calgary. I live here. Like it's yeah. easier for me to drive at six o'clock in the morning downtown than it is drive to all the way to Edmonton. The yeah. top of the province. <laughs> right. So but it's um yeah, and we're always looking for, you know, sponsors and and speakers and, and things because it's it is really difficult to find resources, um particularly with inclusive and like secular viewpoints. So it's a, uh, it's definitely a labor of love for sure, and uh, it's a really great community. So I'm I'm glad that that we did it. It is a lot yeah. of work. Yeah, it <laughs> is a lot of work. I, I understand that completely. Yeah, and I and you have many things going on too. But it's a great conference. I've been able mm -hmm. to go two years in a row. Yeah, I've I've gone for the mm -hmm. last two years, and um, I've loved it. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a big journey for me, but I enjoy making it, and it's definitely worth it. So I, you know, if anyone's going to be in the area or wants to make the journey, I I definitely recommend it. And then, which public library, mm -hmm. which Calgary Public Library is it going to be located at this year? Oh, it's at Central, Central okay. actually. The big one, the brand new giant, you know, brand new library that just opened in. Um, I guess November. Oh, wow. Okay. Year. So it's one I haven't seen. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's a fantastic venue. I really love how the Calgary Public Library is so accommodating to yes. home education. Yeah. This is the second time that they've opened up their doors and they had a, they had a speaker come mm -hmm. one year. And so it's, it's great because it legitimizes that uh, difference. Yeah, it does. Actually, um, I'm part of the Alliance for Self-Directed Education, and I know on the forum or on one of the, there was a really interesting conversation, and um, some people had wrote about it, of how uh, libraries, community and local libraries are a huge, like, center for learning in so many ways, especially for self-directed mm -hmm. learners and homeschoolers. And the conversation was on mm -hmm. how can we, you better access your library, support your library, and create learning initiatives with your community library because, I mean, really they're at the center, almost geographically center. They have so many resources and the staff are, and I know even, I mean, I live in a very, I, I mean, I don't even live in the, in the town, but the town that's closest to me is very small. I mean, there's like 3,500 people, I think. 
3,000 people, but our library is a small library, but they're phenomenal. And the librarians, I think, know every homeschooler and, you know, we have a fairly large homeschooling community by name. And, you know, they know, like when my kids go in, they usually know what they like to read and, you know, they're accommodating. They, yeah, it's just a great place and it feels warm and inviting there too. And so they, you know, they can go mm-hmm. there and ask questions. They can, my kids will just go to the library on their own when we're in town um, and spend time there. Or, you know, they left to read there and it's, yeah, it's a great, and they will host events and yeah, it's a, I love libraries. <laughs> I think they're a great resource mm-hmm. in our communities. And I think, uh, I hope everyone is able to utilize it. So that's great that the Calgary Public Library, um, that's where it's going to be at the central location. I know Calgary mm-hmm. has some beautiful libraries, so I can imagine how this new one is. Oh, it's fantastic. And I really, I chose it because it was a library as well. Like when I found out that I could book a room there, like the the actual theater, because it's the, the main conference will be taking place in the theaters. Um, I just love that it forces homeschoolers or people to come into the library and to maybe see something that they didn't know. And that this particular library is very innovative. So it has different learning stations. It again shows that diversity in learning. And I just think it, it has all the programs that are available. And, you know, even if you don't live in the city, if you don't live in Calgary, and you come and you see a program that's running, I think that it's great for you to take that idea and run with yeah. it at your own library. Like I've, I've taken ideas from Central Library or from other libraries that I've seen, you know, online and gone in and said to my own close to me library, my home library, you know, can we run this? Like, could this be something that we could do? Could I, could I run this? And it's happened. So it's, uh, yeah, it's just a really good way of like sharing again. Yeah, it is absolutely. It's a great space to have it. So good. I'm ex- so what? Sorry, what is the date for the conference this year? Mm, September seventh. September seventh. So September seventh yeah. in Calgary. You can go to inspiredcalgary.com mm-hmm. and it will be held in the Central Calgary Public Library. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Okay, so. Mm-hmm. We know where to direct anybody as well. And there's a Facebook page as well that you can go to. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I know our time is coming to a close and I know you have uh, quite a few things happening here for today and the end of the week as well. So I would like to end with asking you, do you have any advice to parents that are looking for choice or a change in their learning or education? Yeah, um, I really feel that it's important for parents to keep all options open for their kids and not to get bogged down in ideology. You really have to look at your kids' strengths in learning and make like active decisions. So sometimes traditional learning works, like traditional homeschool, sometimes unschooling, sometimes part-time schooling, online schooling, and sometimes that means full-time schooling if you find the right program. Learning is fluid, it's individualized, and education, above all else, must be authentic, meaningful, and relevant to the student in order for them to retain what they've been taught. So knowing that and supporting that learning process is what helps um, students on that lifelong journey of learning. So, and I also wanted to mention, because you hit my my trigger word, (laughs) the word choice. Choice in education is a trigger word for me. Um, so, so tell Alberta, me more. Yes, tell really me how do, it's a trigger word. Yeah. Oh, okay. we're not going <laughs> to go into it too much. <laughs> but in Alberta, we really do have the most choice in education. However, this can also lead to a paradox of choices. So it's really important that parents and teachers remember that learning is a process and it doesn't stop when the kids mm-hmm. hit grade 12. And you can change your pedagogy at any time and everything will work out as long as the relationship between the teacher and the student or the parent and the student allows for those students to take risks, make mistakes and try again without feeling that utter failure and despair. So it's in that ability to take a risk that learning Mm. happens. Wow. I agree. I like that. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I, I guess that is the thing is like we do that so often and thinking that once you've done and graduated, your learning is done. 
your education is done. Mm-hmm. Or that you're like, oh, I'm done school mm-hmm. now that I finished grade 12. But it never stops. That's yeah. right. And it's like, mm-hmm. it, and, and taking risks and learning from them and, and that it's okay to take, take risks is the biggest part of it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the only way that you learn. Like if you don't, if you don't write something down wrong, like in a math question or writing or whatever it is, then you don't correct it. Then right. how are you learning? If you, if you just write down something and everything is right all the time, like, are you learning anything? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's those real moments. It's kind of deciding like what, this is the bigger question for me is what is learning? What is it? So is it getting information and spitting out the answer or is it, you know, taking a risk on something and then learning from it and changing or, or growing Right. And we're always looking for growth in kids. So I think it's Absolutely. a lot. We're looking for growth, I think, in all of us. <laughs> yeah, no matter yes, how old yeah. we are. All right. Yeah. Well, I think that's a perfect note to leave off on. Thank you so much, Alicia. I I know you and I don't get to talk uh, often. It kind of seems like <laughs> maybe once a year where we get to join in, in a conversation, but I always mm-hmm. really enjoy it. And um, I know we, you always are good to have lively discussions and uh yeah, it's, it's nice. It's really, really nice. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Well, so I appreciate much. it. I will I encourage everyone to check out inspiredcalgary.com. And even if you aren't in the area, go to the Facebook page and like the Facebook page and go to the website as well to learn more. So I think you're doing some wonderful work. So we will be in touch. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. Mm-hmm.